I'm Melanie Sayward and you are tuning in to The Pink Elephant. Hi there and welcome to The Pink Elephant Podcast where we discuss the most undiscussed issue in the body of Christ today. That despite all we know, it can feel like there is something missing in our faith experience. For all my Christian life, I've been told that faith is about a relationship with God. The primary purpose of all of this is that we might relate to him. It sounds simple and it makes sense, but what does it even really mean to have a relationship with God? The fact is, we generally cannot see God. We, we generally cannot hear him audibly, that's what most people would say, and we generally can't touch him, not in the same way that we can hug a friend or hold our partner's hand. So relating to God is a bit more complicated for us and a bit less straightforward than the statement implies. And yet it is the central influencing factor in how we live out our faith. It determines how obedient we will be, how secure we feel, and how at peace we are. And so this is what I'll be discussing in this month's episode, what it means to have an intimate relationship with God. How is depth or lack thereof robbing us of what we could have relationally with him? What are the pink elephants that nobody seems to be talking about when it comes to our relationship with him? So firstly, what does scripture tell us about having an intimate relationship with God? Here are some scriptures to consider. The first one is Revelation 3.20, which says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. There is some incredibly personal language within this verse. It says, the one who hears my voice. This implies a personal invitation and a personal response. Then Jesus says that he will eat with him or her. The act of eating was an intimate relational act, and to a degree, it really still is. We often diminish the significance of mealtimes now because of our rushed lifestyles, but the process of eating was very significant in ancient times. This is why it was such a big deal that Jesus ate with sinners, because eating was significant. It spoke of relationship and intimacy. The second verse is John 15 verse 5, which says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. This verse describes a type of interconnectedness. The vine and branches are attached. They are linked. Something distinguishing about a vine and a branch is that it's almost impossible to say at exactly what point the vine and branch start and end. They are so intertwined. They are extensions of each other. This is a highly intimate language. It may have been considered blasphemous to speak of ourselves in relation to God in this way at that time. But of course, the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't believe Jesus was God anyway. The third verse is 1 John 3 verse 1, which says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. We're called his children. This is an intimate relationship. We are heirs and we are co-heirs with Jesus. We receive blessings as sons and daughters. This is a really, really big deal. You don't just call anyone your child. 
The term child is separated for those you love. And so God loves us so. So the writer is drawing attention to the unique way in which God is loving us here, that he adopts us as children. The fourth verse is Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. In this scenario, we can see God delights over us. He rejoices. He he tenderly quiets us with his love. He sings loudly. This demonstrates a, a different angle of the relationship we have with God, that he has gleeful feelings when he, he thinks of us. He is glad. He rejoices. Okay, so the fifth verse is John 14, verse 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He says here, we will come to him and make our home with him. What an intimate picture. The Lord makes his home in us. Home is a much more intimate nature than to say house, right? God isn't making a house for us. It's not the building of a physical structure in us that he is concerned with. He longs to nestle in and create a comforting sanctuary within us. Verse number six, 1 John 1 verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship is a beautiful word, not often used these days. The word for fellowship is koinonia, which I definitely didn't say correctly because it's in Greek. But anyway, and it also can mean, this word can mean to commune, to share, to participate, and it actually means intimacy. Our Lord shares with us not just his thoughts and ideas, but himself authentically and honestly. So not only do these verses, and there's plenty more, of course, tell us something about how we can relate to God and how he intends to relate to us, but there are also narratives within scripture that give us an impression of his relational nature. The one that has intrigued me the most is that of God and Moses in Exodus 33 verse 11. It says, The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. When I read this as a young adult Christian, I was so encouraged and inspired. You mean God could speak to me as intimately as a friend? I had some pretty awesome friends growing up and to think that God might even want to relate to me or anyone else as a friend sounded like the greatest of discoveries. And I often still ask God to speak to me as one would speak to a friend. We also see the relationship between Jesus and the Father in the biblical narrative. The Father calls the Son his beloved, which means dearly loved, adored, precious, which is a title frequently given to the people of God as well, particularly in the New Testament. For instance, in Colossians 3 verse 12, it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved. In other words, the same word used for beloved when the father's referring to the son. 
There is also the case of the Holy Spirit who is given to all who receive Christ, not only a select few with a particular role in the church. This is a demonstration of the personal nature of God. We are seen as individuals by him and we are provided for individually, able to be directed and personally guided by the Holy Spirit. Prior to the new covenant, the Holy Spirit only came upon a person for a purpose and a position. But under the new covenant, even if you never do anything of any real significance in this life, which I think is probably unlikely, but you get what I mean, you will still be given the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, comfort, and walk personally with you. Another angle that points to this idea of intimacy is the concept of knowing and being known. This appears in scripture often. In Philippians 3 verse 10, the author states, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. 1 John 3, 6 says, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. To know Christ translates into living for and with him. That is the power of knowing Christ. The interesting fact about this word know, which is K-N-O-W, of course, used in these passages, is that it is the same word used to describe the act of sexual intercourse in scriptures. One could argue that this is the most significant act of intimacy to be experienced with another person. It requires full disclosure of our personhood, both emotionally and physically, and it involves incredible degrees of vulnerability. So why am I bringing this topic up? There are actually a few pink elephants that exist within this particular topic within the body of Christ. Areas that I've noticed don't seem to get discussed or even addressed from a pulpit level. The first pink elephant is this. While so many of us know that a relationship with God is at the very center of faith, The truth is so many believers do not actually know or believe they are loved by God. As in, let me put this another way. Believers know logically that they are loved by God, but they don't necessarily know that he loves them in any deep sort of way that would naturally change how they live. If change happens, it's motivated by guilt and shame and not by this revelation of his incredible love for them. Just consider how huge this is. Jesus loves you is said so often within Christian community. But for a good proportion of our congregations, when they hear that, it doesn't sink in. It isn't received. Now, I've heard some preachers be really negative about the desire to experience or to feel something about God's truths. They think it speaks of immaturity in faith. It is true. You can still live a life of faith because of its truth, even if you never feel anything. But I understand where people are coming from when they want to feel or know something deeply in their heart. Would we marry a person these days that we have no emotional fondness for? Would we think it's enough to have a parent who never says, I love you? No, we do need to hear that they love us. It isn't enough to just know logically that someone loves you. We need to hear it because the truth is if we don't hear it, we may never be sure that it's true. We're just guessing that they love us. 
We spend the rest of our lives trying to work it out, trying to please them, trying to hear their affirmation in whichever way it might be expressed. We are searching for some sign that it is true. Well, I think some of this applies to our relationship with our Heavenly Father too. We might have the word where we can see that God loves us, but at some point it must translate into a heart knowledge, which for some may require an experience or hearing him say it. We need to know that God personally cares. We need to know not just as a head knowledge that God loves us uniquely. So what's the ramification of this pink elephant? I'm sure you'll find that it's pretty big, but I'm just going to mention a few. I find that ministries are often talking around faith matters about these side topics and and not to say that they aren't important, but they aren't necessarily talking about how we might be able to get closer to God, to understand his love for us personally. Now, I'm going to talk more about this in a moment, but I just want to keep going with these pink elephants that arise out of this big topic. The second pink elephant is that for many believers, despite following all the most consistent advice, right, read your Bible, pray, come to church, despite doing all of these things for a long time, many believers still really, really struggle to experience that intimate relationship with God that we've been told that we can have. They don't feel like they receive the intimate leading of the Holy Spirit. They don't know if he's trying to speak to them. And no one really seems to be scratching where they itch when it comes to this problem. They don't experience that connection that would be typically associated with the word relationship. If we had a friend that we felt no sense of depth and connection with, we wouldn't actually call them a friend. So how are Christians supposed to consider God their father, friend, their personal saviour, these highly relational ideas that are familial How are Christians supposed to consider and live with God in this way if the basics of connection are not present? We hear these valiant messages about saving the lost and reaching our friends and generosity, helping the community, stepping out in faith. These are acts that require great courage. So much of the Christian faith really requires a lot of courage. Even walking boldly into the throne room of God requires the courage to know that you will indeed be forgiven and that you will indeed receive grace. But so many believers don't have the confidence to do such things because they aren't really sure that God has their back if it goes wrong. And why would they? They aren't even sure he loves them. Sometimes we are trying to resolve the wrong issue. We are trying to change people instead of just showing them again and again the love of God in action, in word, and in our teaching. Now, here's another fact. Even when you do know deep in your heart that God loves you, that doesn't mean you know the depths of that love. You may know that God loves you, but do you know that God loves all of you, even the bits that you don't like? Do you know that his love would have him looking constantly towards you? Do you know that this love is enough, literally enough, for you to conquer anything in life, even if you were never loved by a single human being again? There is an upward trajectory for the love that we have in Christ. There is still more of his love to know and still more of his love for us to grow. Gee, I didn't even intend for that to rhyme. But anyway, 1 John 4.17 says, And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. 
The degree to which you know God's love is not necessarily a product of time. I was about 34 years old. I had stopped working. I had finished up in church ministry and I'd been a Christian for about 25-ish years by this time. I was sitting in my reading chair and I heard the voice of the Spirit speak directly into my heart and it said, I love you. I had never heard it before personally to me. I had heard God say literally so many things throughout my life, but this was the first time I knew that he loved me, that I really knew it. So how has everything ended up this way? What is missing? How is a lack of depth causing us to be at this place in our relationship with God? Well, to begin with, we must recognize that we bring our own relational dysfunctions to our relationship with God. Yes, God meets us where we are at, but we do have some barriers to relating with God that come from our own difficulties with relational factors. The verse James 4, 8 says, come near to God and God will come near to you. Well, these barriers stand in the way of us authentically drawing near to God. Here are some typical relational barriers that stand in the way of drawing near to God. The first one is what is called distorted images of God. So there's an author called Juanita Ryan, and I think it's her husband, Dale Ryan, that have written some studies and some articles and maybe even a book about this concept. Go and have a Google. The basic idea is that oftentimes we have some internal beliefs about God, usually influenced by experiences we have had as children. We might think that God is out to punish us. We might think that God is withholding good things from us. We might assume that God is uninterested in us or that he is emotionally distant. Whatever the image might be, chances are you didn't know you had them and that they are affecting how you approach God. I know for myself, when I studied this concept, I realized that I often felt like God was withholding from me, that he was always wanting me to jump through these hoops to prove myself, but it was never quite good enough. When I completed this study by Juanita and Dale, I realized that I was bringing this belief to God rather than it being how God was actually behaving with me. Once I was able to challenge this, my ability to approach God majorly improved. The second one is vulnerability. Even though this is quite a buzzword like in this day and age, there is plenty of evidence in scripture demonstrating that this is how God always intended for us to approach him. For starters, we're told to be humble in heart in approaching God, recognizing who we are and who he is. That's a form of vulnerability. Secondly, it is presumed that we will be honest with God, something that we don't really do so well these days. I mean, we're not even really honest with ourselves a lot of the time. So listen to the honesty with which David, a man after God's own heart, listen to how he approaches God in Psalm 13 verse 1 to 2. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? And there's two other verses. Of course, there's plenty of verses in Psalms, but I would go check out Psalm 6 verse 1 to 4 and also Psalm 10 verse 1 if this is of interest to you. But just have a look at how honest and raw David is with God. He really doesn't hold back. He is brutally honest. 
This takes a certain level of vulnerability. Like honesty is a function of vulnerability. Honesty requires us to let our guards down, to overcome the potential judgment we think we will get for opening ourselves up. And this is necessary in our relationship with God. If vulnerability is a struggle for you in general, there's a good chance that it's affecting the level of connection you could experience with God. Even though God is God, he understands what it means to be human and the things that go through our minds, whether good or bad. That is why there should be literally nothing, like nothing, that you or I could say to God, no matter how wrong it is, no matter how dark it sounds, God is a safe place for us to be honest. The third one is our parental environment, or I guess our parental influences, right? This does actually get discussed a fair bit in the study done by Juanita and Dale on distorted images of God, but sometimes we relate to God according to the relationship we have had with our own parents. We project onto God how we have related to our parents. One of the ways you can tell if your parental relationship has impacted your relationship with God is to see if there is any discomfort or feelings of disconnection when you use various terms when referring to God. So what I mean by this is when you pray, when you say like dear Jesus versus dear Father or even dear Holy Spirit, what do you feel? Now, I know there is some theological reasons why a lot of people pray to Father God over the other parts of the Trinity, and that's fine. We're not really supposed to be separating him so much. But anyway, but this is more about a practice to identify what is going on in you. It's not about a theological um, communication thing, right? So I'm simply saying, if you say, dear Holy Spirit, how does it feel? Is it uncomfortable because you're not used to it? Or is it uncomfortable because you struggle to connect with God with using that particular familiar role, which in this case, Holy Spirit is often referring to mother, what about when you say dear father? I mean, I I know that I, you know, generally will say dear Jesus, but there was a time where I was saying dear father and I realized immediately that there was some kind of discomfort in there. And so I then searched that out with God, like God, why am I actually feeling uncomfortable with this? And I realized that there was some connection issues there that I hadn't really dealt with relating to my own dad. And so I actually deliberately started saying, dear father. And I noticed that um, it started to heal all of that kind of stuff. So anyway, so I'm just saying that when you refer to these particular familial roles, and in this case, Jesus is often talking about, uh, could uh, mean a brother or a sibling. Do you feel some discomfort? Is It's not even discomfort. It's do you not feel connected to God when you use that term? Anyway, hopefully that gives you an idea, but you can also obviously do that study with Juanita and Dale, which will also give you some indication of whether or not your parental relationships are influencing how you relate to God. So the next one is the fact that sometimes we can approach God in a way that is not even recognizing him as a living being. We actually look at him like a customer like a consumer looks at a business and we come to him wanting what we want and he's supposed to be this entity that just gives us things, right? Now, sometimes this can be because of the fact that we don't feel a connection with God, that we would even think of him in this way, right? Because it's the only way we can think to relate to him, which is hardly a relationship, right? Sometimes it can be because of things we've been taught, like 
the prosperity gospel can lead itself, can sort of lend itself in this direction. The kind of things you'll observe in yourself if you're approaching God in this way is that you'll bribe or set up trades with God. You know, for instance, if I do this, you'll give me what I want. The worst thing about this approach is that it sets up a sense of entitlement, which is incredibly hard to break if you have it. At its core, this kind of approach is a form of manipulation. It's conditional service. It's faithfulness for a purpose. It may be really uncomfortable if you recognize this in yourself, and chances are you're going to be tempted to deny that this might be how you're approaching God. But the worst part of it is that it is close to impossible to have a genuine connection with God if you're perceiving him in this way. Now, to make you feel maybe a little less guilty about this or a little less shame or whatever discomfort you're feeling right now, I can tell you that I definitely approached God in this kind of way many years back. I was not committed to him for the love of him. I was committed to him because I believed that if I did the things that he wanted, he would give me what I wanted. Now, I've repented from my ways, but the way I repented was by being honest with myself and recognizing that this was the way that I was engaging with God. So I am so glad I'm on the other side of this this, um, discussion, I guess. I'm so glad that I had the courage with God and the Holy Spirit to confront that. And so I encourage you to do the same because on the other side of it, is a great relationship, a genuine connection where you experience the closeness of God when you remove this way of operating. The last one I want to talk about is prayer, right? So when I was a young adult, the most common thing I would pray for pretty well every day was for my relationship with God. Now, I remember visiting a friend who had written down on like a poster on on their wall, a whole bunch of prayer points that they wanted to pray for every day. You know, so like on Monday it had missions, on Tuesday it was family, and, yeah, and each day had like a different point. And I can remember saying to her, don't you pray for your relationship with God? Because I I noticed that it wasn't up there. And she, you know, said something to the effect of I'd feel selfish if I prayed for that. Now I remember being shocked, right? Okay, just remember that I'm not a Christian that's grown up in a Christian um, environment all my life, right? So there's some things that um, may be normal to everyone else, but it sounds abnormal to me, right? But I remember being really shocked. If we truly believe that our relationship with God is the most critical aspect of life, why wouldn't we pray for it? One of the hardest truths to swallow is that a lot of the time our relationship with God and the quality of that experience isn't really in our hands. The main influence we have over it is coming near to God, like the verse I mentioned in James. We can come close to him, but it's really up to him the degree to which he comes close to us. See, God reveals himself to us. That's how we get to know him. He allows us to see more of him, to understand more of him, to be blown away by more of who he is in the purest sense and in his glory. So why wouldn't we pray? Have you ever prayed for your relationship with God? Have you asked him to reveal himself to you? There might not be a greater thing for you to pray for because the person you become for having had God reveal more of himself to you, well, that benefits everyone in your world. And to close out with this section, I want to draw your attention to one more phenomenon that arises in our faith. So 
God is holy, right? He is beyond comprehension. There are so many things about him that should surely cause us to be in awe of this incredible God who continues to sustain this world that we live in with love and service. But sometimes in our desire to revere him, we can struggle to contemplate him as friend. This is a tension that is worth being aware of because God is holy and deserves our respect and honour. But at the same time, God also reaches out to us in fellowship to share and commune with us. Jesus himself calls us friend in John 15, 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends because all that I've heard from the father, I have made known to you. This is God's intention that we might know him as both. In general, it feels unnatural to approach someone to confide and share the deepest part of ourselves that we respect and revere so highly. I probably wouldn't have told Mother Teresa if I ever got the chance to meet her every detail of my messed up life because I respect her so much. I wouldn't want her to know those things that I might consider shameful. But we sometimes also struggle to give those people in our lives the utmost of honour, respect and reverence whom we've shared every embarrassing detail with. It might be one of the reasons we sometimes struggle with respecting our spouses because they've seen us warts and all. We sometimes forget to honour them in the ways that we would even a stranger. So there is a tension here. God is both. He is both our closest confidant. He knows everything about us. He sees our thoughts, even those that you would rather not anyone see. But he is also our mighty God, holy beyond compare, creator of heaven and earth, all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipotent. So how we handle this tension can no doubt affect how we experience connection with him. At the very least, be aware of it. See, if we genuinely understood the kind of connection we have with the Lord, there are certain aspects of how we would approach prayer, reading the word, and even how we operate with the Holy Spirit that would be different. When it comes to prayer, we would lose the script. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Have you noticed that we have a script? This is mine. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that. Now, I've often said that even before I've worked out what I'm thankful for. I call myself on this all the time. I do that with no other relationship that I'm in. We treat prayer sometimes like it's a system rather than simply an overflow of what is in us, a genuine and authentic expression. When it comes to the word, we would approach it as we would a new boyfriend or girlfriend that we long to learn more about. I know that it's hard sometimes when you've been a Christian for a while But sometimes this is where the art is, in mixing it up, trying different techniques, maybe even going and doing more study so that we discover new things and bring fresh insight to this multi-layered revelation of God. We would approach the Holy Spirit with the awareness that he is with us all the time, able to be experienced, heard, communicated with at any given moment of the day. The Holy Spirit's acts aren't isolated to the church walls. In fact, just a quick read of the book of Acts will demonstrate rather clearly that the Holy Spirit was never confined to the walls of the church. We can believe 
for great things. We can believe for the tenderness and comfort of the Holy Spirit wherever we are. The point of all of this is to say that we haven't reached the epitome of what it means to relate and commune with Christ. If our answer is reading the word, prayer and church, when someone asks us, how do you get close to God? We are definitely diminishing the significance of the intimacy that God means for us to have. Now, to be honest, there are many more things I could say on this topic because to learn how to get close to God takes a lifetime of openness to him. We would also have to mention obedience. Yes, obeying God opens the doors for more intimacy with him. We would also have to mention confession as a significant part of vulnerability. We would have to talk about the degree to which guilt and shame are currently clouding our relationship with him. We'd have to mention those desert seasons and how cutting certain things off in our lives like relationships and priorities and idolatry and whatever else and how that opens us up for more intimacy with Christ. But the truth is, we just don't have the time to cover every aspect. Maybe one day I'll write a course about it. Maybe I'll preach a message. I don't know. My point is that if something is missing in your faith experience, it might just be this, that deep connection that you want to experience with God, that emptiness that God was always meant to fill. This could be the biggest priority for you. But it also ought to be the biggest priority for all of us in this life. We will never witness to what is not in us. We cannot share what we have not seen or heard. God is relational and he wants you to experience a deeper relationship with him. He wants you to know his love, not only to be aware of it. Next month, is the final episode for the season. I know it's crazy. It comes up so quickly, right? Which means it's another one of the statements we could do without theme. And this time I've got a guest speaker with me. It's bound to get interesting. That's what I'll say. And I dare say that some of you are not going to agree with a lot of what gets discussed. And that's okay. We don't have to all agree. It's actually good for us to hear different opinions, right? Anyway, I want to offer you this final thought. God is also mindful of how he approaches us. For starters, he approaches us in spite of our sin. When I was young, I was told that God could not hang around me because of my sin. He's too holy and disgusted by me. If you want a great picture of holiness, check out the Bible Project's video on this. It shows that God's holiness is more of a risk to us because of our sinfulness. It uses the analogy of the sun in our solar system, which is both an incredible source of goodness to the whole world, but is also dangerous to us the closer we get to it. The point is that Jesus resolves the matter of our sin so that he can approach us without it being a risk to us. How self-sacrificing is that? He makes a way so that the one matter that prevents us from true intimacy with him is eradicated. Also, he is fully vulnerable and authentically himself with us. He reveals himself to us without masks. Our own comprehension of him might limit what we see, but he won't hold himself back from anyone who genuinely desires him. God is completely honest with us, which at times might be hard to swallow when you see some of the things he says, but at least he doesn't lie. 
That's something we can always be confident of. He is perfectly truthful in expressing his love and his discipline. And because his love is perfect, we can be sure that his discipline benefits us way more than it benefits him. He doesn't use a script when he speaks to us. No communication he has with us is obligatory. He doesn't project onto us any other relationship. His relationship with us is unaffected by anything, including our past and our future. He doesn't use us. He doesn't manipulate us. He is slow to anger. He is perfectly patient and he is compassionate beyond reason. He would probably get labelled a pushover in this day with how easily he forgives and how easily he administers grace. And he prays for us. Let's close this out with a prayer that Jesus prayed for you and I in John 17, verse 24 to 26. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Pink Elephant. You can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, or you can check out my resources on my website, meljsayward.com.